Hey guys, I'm Kira and you're listening to Inspired Lives live on Ross FM every Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. I'm your host, Kira Lawless, and I am absolutely over the moon to be joined by Elaine Bradley. Now, Elaine is the general manager here at Seed Savers. Elaine, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Kira. Great to have you here. Can you tell us, when did you get involved with Seed Savers? Okay, well, I started working here just over a year ago, so the 1st of June um, 2021. But my first encounter with Seed Savers was, was many years ago. I've always been aware of their work and always known of them as a, a very good organisation. Um, they've been on my radar. But um, I think it was probably around 2019 I came over and did a course here in orchard management, developing an orchard because I wanted to make an orchard on my own land. So I came down and I'd never been here before and I was just absolutely enchanted by the place. Um, I was enchanted by East Clare as well. I didn't realise, you know, what a beauty it is um, down beside Loch Derg. Um, and then Seed Savers itself, we're on 20 acres of um, organic farm. Such a beautiful place. So I was when I saw the job come up, I just thought, oh yeah, I could do that. So I applied and here I am. Absolutely. You're doing a fantastic job here, Elaine. So with Seed Savers, when was it set up and what were the kind of primary aims that they hoped to achieve? Okay, well, Seed Savers was set up 31 years ago. It started its life in Carlow and it was started by a couple, Anita and Tommy Hayes. And Anita really was the main driver of it. Um, uh, an American lady who came home with her husband, Tommy Hayes, a musician who was in Stockton's Wing. Some of you may know of him. Um, and in America, seed saving was really sort of far more advanced than it was here. So when she came back to Ireland with Tommy to set up home in Carlo, and she looked around, she was looking for seed saving organisations and realised there weren't any. So being a doer and an activist, yeah. she decided she'd start one herself. So that's basically what they did. But they didn't just do seed saving, um, they also got involved in collecting apple trees, so Ireland's unique um, apple tree varieties as well. So today we hold the National Heritage Apple Tree co Collection based on the work of Anita Hayes, but she would also say you know, that she's standing on the shoulder of giants, so some of our orchards on the land are named after some of those inspirational people that who worked with Anita and um, supported Anita's work. People like Charlie Robinson and Pat McNeese and then Dr Keith Lamb as well. These were all absolute legends back in the day, way ahead of their time, realising that we have to protect Ireland's unique um, genetic food crop heritage. So that's essentially what Seed Savers was set up to do. Um, and I, it moved, uh, Tommy and Anita moved from Carlo and they came to Scarf and set up here on two acres and really it's an idea that's grown and, and it's come of its time and over the years there's been a lot of people who've come and gone there were a lot of there's a lot of volunteer effort gone into this a lot of really inspired and inspirational people who really got what you know the aim of the organization was about and got in behind it um, to the point today that we have somewhere around 27 staff it fluctuates because we've seasonal workers so um, we've just finished doing the bud grafting of the apple trees so this year um, we've bud grafted about 6,000 apple trees that we'll have for sale next year um, we're bringing in the harvest at the moment so from the seed beds um, and we'll have more staff come to help us with the processing of the seed. So, yeah, the number fluctuates, but we, we've gone from humble beginnings, but big ideas, to, I suppose, 
a really important national organisation and an international organisation as well because um, we're involved at European level with other similar organisations working around legislation to make sure that um, open pollinated seed is protected. Um, and also we work internationally, we provide seed to, we work, we, we liaise with other seed banks and we've provided seed to the International Seed Bank at Svalbard in the Arctic Circle where it's called the Doomsday Vault where they, the world seed collection is held. I think that's incredible. And just to even take it back to beginnings, as we say at the beginning, humble beginnings. For Anita, was there any funding or did she really just start this off her own bat with an inspired idea to help? What what really was the beginning there? Yeah, it was done entirely voluntarily by them. I, I think they got support from Department of Agriculture and we still have a very good relationship with the Department of Agriculture, um, particularly the Genetic Resources um, Department. Um, so I suppose the department itself was aware of the importance of the work that was being undertaken by Anita and Tommy. So there would have been some support there, but it would have been very, you know, they wouldn't have been getting rich on, on what they were, you know, the, the, the money that was involved. Um, they tell a really lovely story about on knowing there was a need to get more land because, as I said, they were working on two acres. And some land that adjoined the land here came up for sale. And they really you know, wanted they just it was it was going to auction I think the next day and they really wanted to get it but they had absolutely no money and just the day before the auction two people came to site and literally wrote checks for them and gave loans um to buy the site. So uh, I think a lot of people really have are inspired by what happens here and have bought into the vision and particularly now at the moment, you know, when Anita and Tommy started out People hadn't heard of biodiversity, you know, they hadn't heard of regenerative farming and agroecology. You know, there was no understanding really. Maybe, you know, there was a bit of understanding of organics, but there wasn't an understanding of, about why we need integrated systems where we protect wildlife and how that has anything to do with growing food. But of course, nowadays, people are increasingly understanding the importance of that. So we've been doing this for 30 years. So in a way, we're an idea that's come of its time. And in the last, however long it's been since the war in Ukraine, suddenly food security is, is on people's maps. They understand, you know, how vulnerable our food systems are, you know, how a war in a far off place can affect, you know, our food chains, the scarcity of wheat, say, and affect food prices and actually all the cost of living prices. So suddenly in a globalised world, people are becoming aware and also mindful of all these connections and the fragility of the systems we have. So at Seed Savers, we're all about local sustainable food systems. The seed that we that we hold and we protect and we also disseminate. So we sell the seed. It's one of the ways we keep ourselves going. Um, we call it conservation through use. By people taking our seed and planting it, you're planting seed that you can grow on for seed yourself, so you don't have to buy seed year on year. And what is happening is we're working with communities of growers like the Community Gardens of Ireland, teaching them the forgotten skills of say, saving seed. So they know how to grow vegetables, but not everybody knows how to grow it on for seed. And it's a little bit more complicated than just sort of gathering the seed and tucking it away somewhere. Sometimes that works, but... 
Um, so we're working to support people, communities and individuals to grow food and save their own seed and then share the seed within those communities. And that's what food security is, when we can take care of our own um, need in terms of food and nutrition. Absolutely. And just even from listening to that, I can really tell that it's very, it's highly compassionate work that you're doing. And I suppose the volunteers as well that you have, are you taking on more volunteers at the moment? If there's anyone listening in who would love to get involved and maybe they're not far away from the area and they would love to help or participate as well in your courses. Can you tell us some more of the courses that you have coming up available? Yeah, we absolutely welcome volunteers. The volunteers have been the backbone of, of this organisation, really. Unfortunately, during COVID, like a lot of places, we just didn't have the capacity unless people were working out on the land. Um, but some of the volunteers would need office space or to be indoors, and we just didn't have that facility. So our volunteer numbers, I suppose, were paired back. But we have a number of really loyal um, and committed volunteers who've been with us for a very long time. But yeah, as it happens, my a former in a former life, I was the CEO of Volunteering Ireland, which is now Volunteer Ireland. So I'm personally very committed to involving volunteers in our work. Um, it's important not to, um, I suppose, use volunteers instead of paid employees. So it's all about finding a balance. How can volunteers enhance what you're doing and, and add value and, and gain something for from the um, the experience themselves. So we do frequently have people coming looking to us. Could they come and you know spend a period of time, whether it's interning or volunteering? Um, and we're very open to that. And we're looking at putting good systems and structures down for volunteer management. Really, that people have a good experience when they're with us. Absolutely. I think exactly what you said, it's very, very important that you um, also, because you've, you've the employment opportunity there as well. But again, it's a commitment. And what you're doing here, it's fantastic. And I'm just overlooking the beautiful scenery that you have here in the landscape. And it really is a phenomenal work, but it's so eco-friendly because I've noticed as well, there's an eco toilet. So you really walk your talk up here. That's what I see. We're in a beautiful um, wooden log cabin at the moment. It's just stunning. And again, it fits in nicely with the landscape and the harmony and the shape. I, I wonder, what is the feedback that you're continuously getting from people that are coming to do your courses? I'm sure they're blown away and inspired by what they see. Yeah, I think uh, very much people are inspired. I mean, I've heard people describe us as an arc, and I think that's very true. You know, holding the seeds for the future and distributing the seeds that other people can can grow. Um, we don't just, we do, I mean, our main seed um, product are food seed, vegetable seeds, but we also have some tree seed as well. We've been saving some tree seeds. So locally, there's a the Baru oak, which is a thousand-year-old oak. We collected acorns from it and we grew them on and distributed them um, to some of our members throughout the country. Um, so I think people are inspired by being here. And what I believe is that we are modelling a different way of being. You know, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, it doesn't have to be regressive to go back to sustainable living. You can have a very healthy, comfortable lifestyle 
um, but you can just do the right things now. It definitely is more labour intensive. So, for example, we don't use, obviously, we don't use herbicides or pesticides or any of those things. So that requires lots more weeding and it requires more staff. Um, so there's something of a community around our work as well. Um, and I think when people come to our site, they get a sense of that. They get a sense of what's happening here. And, you know, our staff are really committed and really interested in their various areas and in one another's areas as well. So and always coming up with new ideas and thinking about new ways of, you know, taking things forward. Um, one of the commitments um, that we're, we're, we're making in our latest strategy is around sustainability is to to work to remove all the plastic from the site so in terms of organic farming you know there's a lot of reliance on this product called mypex it's a sort of a plastic weed barrier so it takes some of the work out of, of weeding but um we're just we've just identified an alternative to that um that is biodegradable it lasts for about 10 years um, it's expensive, as happens in these things, but we're really committed to to looking at that and working on those things. So I suppose what we, we try and do for people coming onto our site is to model that there are different ways of doing things and practical ways and cost-effective ways. So we're going to try and find out how do we make this cost-effective. Absolutely, and I suppose as well, working with nature and the land and stuff, have you found any... If you noticed global warming and things like that, that it's actually having an effect from year to year, have you noticed any changes with crops? And is that kind of, is that another, I suppose, a push to just kind of, you want to explore other options? I suppose what you just said there about getting rid of the plastic, is that really, really pushing you to look for more innovative ways to keep adapting and going back to basics, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I feel that in terms of climate change stroke climate crisis we really are at the coal face um so for example we rely on insects to pollinate our fruit trees or apple trees and to pollinate our plants that we take the seed from um the, the climate itself then for example last year there were 10 straight days of frost in may here on site and we had very few apples hardly any apples at all because all the blossom was killed by the frost and obviously if you haven't got blossom you don't get your fruit um we're seeing fewer insects at times now we're trying to work against that by creating habitats on site so we've become a conservation area for the native honeybee and we've worked with boomtree bees from Donegal Put up, putting up log hives around our site, which are habitats. They, they're basically hollow logs that mimic what would be the, the natural habitat of a honeybee. Um, they'd live in old hollowed out trees, but the way things are at the moment, people don't leave the trees to stand, so um, there's no habitat for the bees. So we've created the habitat, and within two weeks, um, three out of our four hives had been colonised by native bees. So... We're trying to mitigate the, the, you know, what we're seeing of climate change and the loss of our pollinators by um, the, the steps that we're taking. 
um, we leave dead wood to lie around. We have spaces that are, obviously our seed beds are very managed, but we also have spaces that we leave to go wild. We all notice there's a lot of blackberries at the moment. We leave briars on the side. You know, the in-between spaces we leave, it doesn't have to be manicured. And I think that's part of the beauty of the site as well. But just going back to your question about, you know, are we seeing climate change or whatever? We absolutely, we believe that we are. Um, the apple trees, the smaller rootstock, on smaller rootstocks, um, we're encouraging people to use bigger rootstocks because they're getting blown over in the increased high winds that we're getting. You know, we've always had high winds, but nothing like the frequency that we're seeing them now. So some of the, the trees on small rootstocks can't withstand the wind. They need to be staked, the really small ones, but other ones that traditionally wouldn't need staking are getting blown over. So, um, yeah, I do feel that we're at the coal face, and to be honest, it's really worrying. Um, and that's why we'd be encouraging people as well, that grow your own food, grow your own food, grow your own food. Stop using pesticides, stop using, you know, chemicals. Um, allow nature back into your space, even if it's just a garden, a small garden. You know, there's an awful lot you can do. Um, every step is an important step. And, um, yeah, I think we're, we're sort of, a, we're at the crunch time, really for some of the choices that we're making and it's really important the choices we make in this time um so you know it's you don't want to be terrorizing people with this kind of information but the other side of it is it's important not to be complacent as well you know we're i think so being oblivious to it all i think it's like with anything with good there is also the other side and we can't be afraid to look at that too but it is, it's incredible work that you are doing, but you've also made it very, very approachable and manageable. And it's not as daunting because you have these amazing workshops that you carry on throughout the different seasons. I was lucky to get to do the herbal medicine one, which I found absolutely fascinating. And you have amazing, very passionate teachers here. And I think, first of all, that is half the battle. Once you have that passion, it really, really inspired people. I remember watching the reaction of the other people as well, like myself, that had participated in the workshop. They were all very excited and there was little things they were able to take home that were simple, that they could really, really adapt into their lifestyle. So can you tell us, what are the next few workshops you have coming up that people can get involved in? Yeah, well, we have very practical things like composting and green manures. Um, as somebody myself, you know, who's lived in a sort of urban environment, I've always composted. I'm living in a more rural environment, but it's so important just taking your kitchen waste and composting it. Green manures are a way of, I suppose it's another way of managing your vegetable beds and maintaining, sort of keeping the weeds down. So we teach around that. Um, we do a course called An Introduction to Seed Saving, so we're doing that. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that we do, scything, mushroom foraging, um, rewilding, cider making. Of course, that's always an interesting one, a very popular one. And then um, we're going to be doing um, a course on creating an orchard, which is the one I mentioned attracted me here in the first place. So in, through our workshops that we run, it's a way of giving people a window into the work. There's always something we can do. There's always changes we can make in our own lives. So we try and upskill people so they feel confident to take these kind of steps, you know. I wonder if you've done anything as a result of your the herbal course you did. Have you tried anything out at home? 
Absolutely. Well, I suppose my background would be floristry as well. So there was a lot I was able to take from that. And which I was really, really surprised about is how much that there is um, along the roadside. Elderflower. Um, it's something I had no, I don't know why my concept of it was, I didn't realize how versatile it was. I suppose mainstream floristry, um, a lot of it's imported, unfortunately. Um, but we don't talk enough about anymore the hedgerows. Mm. Um, and I couldn't believe the, just the, na the natural way we could just, you know, break the head off, put it into lovely hot water. And the tea was beautiful um, that we had here that day. And I suppose little things like that. Now I've made my own uh, elderflower juice um, after that workshop and definitely became more aware as well about how to preserve for dry flowers because I've always loved dry flowers, but I hadn't actually um, achieved drying my own flowers to sell that way. So I was able to start adapting things from the course here to, I suppose, learn how to preserve them. Um, they really don't teach a lot of that um, in, I suppose, in floristry and things like that. A lot of it's just design. Mm -hmm. um, but we really forget about actually how can we um, go right back to the beginning and actually harvest our own, go through that process, and then that brings them to the beautiful arrangement. So absolutely, that was very inspiring. And it definitely got me reading a lot more as well. There was lovely books. You have a fantastic store down there for anyone who wants to purchase books. They have fantastic books. I got to purchase one of the ones on herbal medicine. And it has definitely become a staple in my house at the moment anyway. Um, it's You have all the old cures in it. Um, we were just learning even something very simple that day about daisies. Um, your little dandelions, things like that, like Arnica, that's where that came from. It was aspirin, was the willow tree. So I learned an awful lot that day and I couldn't believe how little, we're not taught about it in school anymore, that there's simple things growing in the ground, in the grass around us that we're sitting in, not realising um, parts are edible, plantain, all those little things. And what I thought was just a beautiful thing to witness is we all came up here and everyone had their little baskets and you brought us foraging which I thought was stunning. Uh, we went through the stunning, stunning landscape and it was lovely to see all the vegetables growing. Um, it's just fascinating when you walk by and see a big giant courgette. <laughs> For me, it was, it was more probably um, rewarding than seeing a big flower head. It really was that time. I just thought it was amazing. And we were picking all the little bits off the ground. We were picking little rose heads, lovely food as well that we could incorporate into um, the pieces that we were producing um, we were working with tinctures. It was just fascinating. And also it was very healing for a lot of the people that were there that day. A lot of them came back and uh, they might have been working in offices or things like that. And it just blew their minds. You could really, really see how it affected those. So you really are having that reaching effect. And you can see it as well for yourself personally, being part of the team here, Elaine. How has that been for you? Oh, I feel like... Um... I really feel very blessed. I think that's just the the short answer to that question. I mean, I've done the slog of commuting from Wicklow to Dublin and sitting in traffic for an hour and a half to go 12 miles. I've done that. So living five minutes away, driving down a, a leafy lane or cycling down a leafy lane to work, um, be working on this site, it's incredible. And I have to say that, you know, my, my job as the manager here is office-based. So I have to really consciously make an effort to get out onto the site um, and get away from the computer screen. But I do that. So this morning I, I, I like to get a walk around. And sometimes I come here at the weekend because I just, as I said, live down the road. So it's nice to be on the site when there's very few people around. And just 
observe and I think that's anybody who's a gardener or a grower knows that observation is a huge part of it you know it's looking at what's going on here you know who's eating who's eating your leaves or whatever so the same for me observing what's happening here on the site um yeah I'm really really enjoying the job I love it um as I said you know when I first came down here I just thought wow what a wonderful place so I'm still pinching myself um but I came here sort of via a scenic route so my my discipline is organizational development um I would be an organizational development expert or that's the, the term it would be given so as I said I worked as the CEO of Volunteer Ireland for Volunteering Ireland as it was then for a number of years and then I went out on my own and I've worked with the UN I've worked with the EU I've um, been working in an international in, in a conflict zone in the Middle East for uh, uh, a number of years um, I've been teaching at Trinity I've been doing um, started a PhD that still has to be finished but um yeah, organisations are, are what I understand. So in a way, for me, an organisation is a system like other systems. And if I step back, just say that back in the very early days, in the 80s, I studied permaculture. I think it was the first permaculture workshop or course in Ireland. And it was a guy, um, Dan Hemingway, who studied with Bill Mollison, who is the originator of permaculture. So I would have done a course here and been one of the first people to have done permaculture. And I really got it because it is, again, it's about systems. So if we think of an organisation as a system as well, the way land or garden is a system, um, it's something very similar. And there's a science to it as well. Um, so I really like the sort of the epithet form follows function so that the form an organisation takes has to follow or support the function of the organisation. So I feel for me being here at Seedsavers, I really get that where we are at this time, I suppose part of what I see needs happening is we've come from that place of, we've got a long history, um, lots of people involved over the years, come from very grassroots, but now we're, we're literally, you know, we're, we're being challenged to be, really visible and really present in the mainstream. We need to take the conversations, we need to take our work in from what has been seen as the alternative, you know, in the margins mm. and place it centre stage because the things that we're doing and the things um, we're working on here are are vitally important for everybody in this country and they're part, they should be part of the national conversation. So that's partly where I see my work is how do we do that how do we communicate I mean anyone who comes to site will see the incredible work that's going on but they might know all the stuff they might know that we do scientific work here that we do research that our our seeds are taken to the international seed bank in Svalbard they might know that or that you know um we work with universities um in various things that we're doing very cutting edge things so Part of part of the work is to communicate that and make sure that we're um, that th that we're speaking to the right people and working with the right people as well. So, and then I think one of the big things I've done here in my time in my just about what thirteen fourteen months since I started, um, started we looked at 
staff salaries we benchmarked pay and conditions so I say me we it was me and with the support of the board of a fantastic very active board here um so over the years there's a lot of turnover of staff which is natural everywhere really people leave and they move on they go to different things but if you find that people are moving on because they can't afford to stay to work with you because you're not paying sustainable wages well that's a problem and for me, going back to that idea is the, of the organisation as a system, you know, if we want to be sustainable, if we want to be ethical, we have to be sustainable and ethical at every level of our organisation, including how we treat our staff and how we pay our staff. So um, we took a look at that and we've, we've benchmarked pay. We no longer pay the minimum wage, which was, I think it was 10 an hour. It might have gone up a little bit from that. What we now pay is the living wage because... Um, it's pretty well recognised that people can't really survive very well. They might survive, but they won't thrive on the minimum wage. So the lowest rate we pay here is is twelve ninety an hour, which is the the living wage. So, and um, everybody got a, 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 a an increase in their wages. But on top of that, what we did is we created structures that people can progress through the organisation, they can acquire new skills, we support people's training and development and they can move on and as I said progress and you know that so people if they wanted to stay with us can have a career here, you could come in at an entry level as somebody who's just left you know horticultural college and you could end up as you know our head gardener or something down the line um, and there's a very clearly mapped out path as to what you would have to do to get there. So looking after our people is as important as looking after the land as well and looking after the crops. Absolutely. And it's just, it's fa fascinating to hear the lifestyle as well, but I can see you're so well suited for everything and you really do take it to heart. It's something I'd say for you that's very fulfilling and that's probably been very important throughout your life. Just looking back at your the different various areas that you've been in. And it seems to me as though you're somebody who loves to have an impact in whatever it is you do. You're not the nine to five person that just wants to go in and fill in your time. You really care about where you place yourself in work. And that's, I think that's very, very, for anyone listening in, I think it's important to to see that because there's a lot of people that find themselves in different areas of work and they may not necessarily feel any sense of fulfillment. And I think that in itself speaks volumes that you allowed yourself to be that free to go for things like that. And it was very important what you brought up there as well about when it came to minimum wage and I suppose employment and living wage. And I think there's a lot of people that, you know, when they live sustainably and things like that, they do worry about income and it does seems to be sometimes that that lifestyle of living organic can sometimes be out of reach. But what I've noticed with your courses as well, you're very fairly priced. Um, I think that day it cost me 70 to do the herbal medicine course. And like I would highly, highly recommend it to anyone. Um, the courses are fantastic. The tutors are amazing. And you go back with having learned things. I have often found in the past going to different places for courses it was almost like this approach where the people that were teaching didn't want to tell you how to do something because they were holding it hostage for themselves. But you're very much so on that premises here where you want to educate people so that they can go and bring those skills back. It's a very heartfelt thing here and you can feel it. There's a lovely 
homely energy over here. And I think that really, really comes across during the workshops that you really do care about what you do and you want to pass on to the future generations that information. Yeah, I think you'll find that most of our staff here walk their talk. So it's not just an intellectual exercise, you know, but, but this is how they live as well. And, you know, you're absolutely right sometimes that the living sustainably, you know, it can be difficult for people. And, um, you know, we have to make difficult choices sometimes too. And earning an income is can be quite challenging as well. I think what one of the things I wanted to say about that is, where we're going to be challenged and where we will be challenging is to really educate people about the price of food because, again, going back to that whole thing about, you know, the, the global food systems, you know, part of the reason that we can access cheap food is because of practices that are going on elsewhere where land and people are being exploited in other places, do you know? But if, you, if you've ever grown anything in your own garden, if you've ever tried to grow a field of spuds or some carrots or whatever you'll know, you'll think, how on earth could anybody ever sell those and make the money from them? Or if you hear, for example, that, you know, bottled water costs more than a litre of milk, you just have to ask, how is that possible? If you look at all the inputs that go into, you know, farming, for example, or whatever. And I think that is going to be a next challenge, that, that we overconsume um, and we get cheap food. And we throw, there's some phenomenal statistic, and I can't remember what it is, but about the 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 rate of um, wastage in terms of food. Um, agriculture is one of the top um, contributors to greenhouse gases wor worldwide, which includes food miles as well. So going back to that idea that we have to eat locally and sustainably. But what that means is I think, you know, that we might have less if we eat locally. It means that, you know, we eat food in season, so we mightn't have access to the avocados or whatever or we might choose not to to buy them more than we don't have access to them um but we're making an impact but the other side of it is if we're buying organic there it is more expensive because it's more expensive to produce organic products but if we factor in the real cost like what is the cost of of using chemicals what is the cost of food miles we have to start thinking in those terms because when we do, we see it's a cost that we're, our children and our grandchildren are going to have to pay and probably won't be able to pay because it's literally costing the earth. So we need to change our practices. We need to eat local sustainable food, food um, grown in sustainable food systems. And we ourselves then, I suppose, can do, do the bit we can do really, whatever that is. That's exactly it. And it goes back, what price are we going to pay in future stance? I remember reading somewhere as well, even on clothes, and I saw as well you had a fantastic dyes, natural dyes workshop. Um, but on average, we there's 300 different um, chemicals that are in our clothes that we wear. So, and they were making us aware of that as well here. Um, so it's fantastic to have this workshop that you show us how to naturally dye our own materials because it's exactly what you said. It's not sustainable going forward to rely on these big heavy systems that are full of chemicals. They don't care about the environment. And we might think we're paying cheap, but we're going to pay the bigger price in the long run. Elaine, thank you so much today for coming on to talk to us all about Seed Savers. Guys, if you want to connect, you can check out the website. It's www 
irishseedsavers.ie and you can email info at irishseedsavers.ie and they also have a beautiful little coffee shop there as well and as I say the store as well they can purchase any books is there anything else Elaine that we should know about Seed Savers? Uh, I can't think of anything just come on down you're very welcome we'd love to have you here so anybody wants to come visit we do tours um, we're not open on Sundays or Mondays for tours but every other day um, yeah come on down absolutely and guys get tasting there's fabulous apples here they've lovely orchard tastings they had heritage week so there's a lot of amazing things going on and a lot of fantastic work they're doing thank you so much Elaine have a lovely day great Kira. thanks for coming down take care